That's what lifts our hearts. When we are reminded who our God is. We get our eyes off the Lord like Peter when he stepped out of the boat. He saw the Lord. He went to walk on the water. And then he got his eyes off the Lord and got his eyes on the storm. And he began to sink. In times of trouble, in times of sorrow, we go to the word. David, in the Psalms, that's why the Psalms are such an encouragement. Because he'd be under the load of all that was going on, whether it was Saul chasing him or even the results of his own sin. He looked like there was no hope, and then he would crawl up on the rock, go to his high tower, so we could get a perspective again of who God is. In times like these, the old gospel song used to say, we need a savior. So this morning, I want to take some time. I want to remind us that our king, the king that was born in Bethlehem, when Mary brought forth her first, firstborn son and laid him in a manger, the warrior king was born. Father, I pray that you give us understanding of your word. Lord, apply it to our heart. Lift our heads, Lord. Encourage our hearts that we might not withdraw our hands for everything that you have called us to do, that each one might fulfill his or her purpose for which you saved us. Lord, that we might hear well done, that we might be found faithful in our time and our place. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. In verse 7 of the psalm we read, Psalm 24, it says, Lift up your gates, O, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors. It's talking about heaven, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Sometimes the world has the idea of Jesus being born, and they like to leave him in the manger because a baby doesn't have opinions. Baby doesn't call for so much except for just attention to itself. But I want to remind you again, brothers and sisters, that over 2,000 years ago when Jesus was born, our warrior king came to earth. Everything that Israel had been looking for but missed was born. He's the Lord mighty in battle. He's never lost a battle. Jehovah of the Old Testament is Jesus of the New Testament. He fought all those battles for Israel. He delivered them from Pharaoh. Then he led them through the wilderness. Remember he told Moses, I'm not going to take the shortcut. We're going to take the long route. And it was longer because of Israel's disobedience. But we're going to take a little longer route because they need to learn how to fight. Why does the Lord not just do everything for us? Because he wants to share his glory with us. So he allows those trials, those battles that we go through, that we might have the opportunity of faithfulness. That our God might enjoy our faithfulness. And that one day we might hear, well done. God fought for Israel. He delivered them over and over during the time of judges. And they said, what we need is a king. And he gave them a king. And not even the kings, for the most part, were faithful and righteous. 
there was a righteous king named Hezekiah and the Assyrians had come and they'd taken away the northern kingdom. They were gone into their dispersion. And Sennacherib sent his general up to Jerusalem and he said, we're about to take you. Here's what I offer you. Don't fight us because you're going to die if you do. He had 185,000 victorious troops just waiting to come into Jerusalem and take whatever they wanted. And they wrote out their threats and they spoke their threats to the people. And Hezekiah brought them in and laid them out before the Lord in the temple. And he said, God, you hear their threats. That's the same thing the apostles did when they were threatened. They went back and they gathered the church and they said, Lord, you take note of their threats and give us boldness. Give us boldness that we might be faithful. God sent the prophet Isaiah to Hezekiah to say, do not worry about them. He will not shoot an arrow against Jerusalem. The next morning, and I love this, Dr. Bookman always points this out. When they woke up, they found out they were dead. 185,000 troops were dead. Why? Because our warrior king has the power of life and death. The Bible tells us in the New Testament, do not fear him who can take away your physical life. Fear him who can take body and soul and cast it into hell. We are the only ones that fear God. Do you know that? Believers, it says that in Romans. A mark of an unbeliever is they have no fear of God before their eyes, but we do. And Jehovah God, who became Jesus, fought those battles for Israel, and they rejected him. Probably the fiercest battle that our warrior king ever fought was at the cross of Calvary. And that tremendous battle began in the garden when he sweat as it were great drops of blood in looking at the cross. And it wasn't the nails and the lashings, but it was what was going to happen as he became the sin offering. He would be separated from the Father. And John MacArthur says, at Calvary at noon on that day, hell came to Golgotha. And our Savior withstood all the wrath of God because of our sin on the cross that day. And then in the ninth hour, he cried out, Eli, Eli, ama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He called for something to drink and they gave him vinegar. And then he pulled himself up with his last breath. And John MacArthur says, in full strength, in the victory of the battle, and he cried out to Telestai, it is finished. As Jesus endured the wrath of the Father on the cross, he finished the work of salvation. There is nothing left for anyone to do to earn it because Jesus earned it. So if this morning you think you're part of that battle by doing good, the Bible says all of your righteousness are as filthy rags before him because there's nothing you can do that can equal 
the suffering that our Savior did on the cross. And he said, it is finished. And then the Bible says that he bowed his head and dismissed his spirit. And three days later, he came up from the grave. Now, he conquered death when he died. He conquered it before he died. And the proof is when he dismissed his spirit, the Bible says in Hebrews, or excuse me, in, in uh, Matthew 27, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, verse 50, and yielded up his spirit. Behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened and many of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now a centurion who was watching all these things, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became frightened and said, truly, this was the Son of God. But that's not the last battle that our warrior king will fight. He fights for his people as king and his sovereignty and his providence. He delivers us every day. But there's coming another battle because God promised he will never let his people go. That his people Israel one day as a nation will turn to him. In Ezekiel 38 and 39... There's another battle that's coming, and I don't know the exact date. Joel Rosenberg thinks it happens before the tribulation begins. But the result of that battle is God's people will turn back to him. And it says that God's going to put a hook in the jaw of Russia, and these nations that hate Israel will come down and surround her. Why is that? Because they want what Israel has. You say, what's in that little tiny land? Well, the Bible said in ancient times, there's a treasure beneath. When we were leaving Israel, we were staying in line, Mike and I, and there's a fellow, and he says, you know, every time I leave, there's this big hassle. Well, I'm kind of thankful for the hassle because Israel doesn't make any bones about the fact they profile, and they have a very safe, safe airport. You look strange, you want to look sloppy, and... Maybe even just have a beard. I don't know. But they, they know how to pick people out and they question you. And this guy was looking forward to maybe he's going to question again. And he'd been there a long time. I said, well, what do you do? Oh, we work on the gas fields for Israel. The gas fields? In Joel Rosenberg's book on the Ezekiel option, he said, he believed that they were going to discover oil reserves and natural gas reserves and they have discovered them. This guy says it's the biggest in the world. That's what Russia wants. And his comment, I don't know if this guy's a believer, we didn't talk to him that long, but he said, oh, this can put Russia out of business. Oh, that lines up right with the scripture, doesn't it? The whole point of the Ezekiel option is Israel has its weapon capabilities, but when they see the arsenal is coming at them because all these armies will gather, be gathered together to destroy Israel once and for all and take what belongs to them. And it says all the coastlands do, if you read those two chapters, is say, 
oh, are you coming down to get treasure? Because at that point, the United States will back off. We've been a friend of Israel. We will not do anything. We'll just say, what are you guys doing? Oh, are you there for the treasure? But God's not going to sit by and watch. He tells Russia, you're going to die in the mountains of Israel. They're going to bury you for seven years. Nobody's living through this because the warrior king's coming back. And the result of that battle, Ezekiel 39, 7, is my holy name I will make known in the midst of my people Israel. And I will not let my holy name be profaned anymore. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Then there's a war that's going to take place. And if you look at Revelation chapter 5, there's the beginning. Because Jesus has redeemed some from every tribe, nation, and people group. And so he is worthy. Because the question is asked in that great stadium of worship, who is worthy to take the world back and finally redeem it and finally straighten everything out? See, you and I, we keep hoping that some politician, some president, a Congress, a Senate will rise up that will speak once again for righteousness. And every year we're a little disappointed, aren't we? Because there's only one governor, there's only one king that's actually going to bring peace to the earth. Any other hope or talk of that is false. And while we still as citizens take our responsibility serious to vote and be good citizens, there's no mention of the United States in prophecy and we're not going to be singing the star-spangled banner in heaven. But I want you to know that our warrior king has this. And so a search is made in heaven and the seas and everywhere to see is there someone worthy. And John in the moment of this vision begins to weep greatly because he thinks in himself in the midst of this vision, it's never going to stop. Evil will never be halted. And the one next to him says, stop weeping. The lion of the tribe of Judah, he is worthy. And then Jesus steps out. And the wounds of his previous battle are still clearly seen. And John says, I see a lamb freshly slain. The lion and the lamb. And he takes the scroll and the rest of the book of Revelation is him laying out his battle plan. He lets the world know what's going to happen. He lets us as believers know this is what's going to happen. My brothers and sisters, this is going to happen. Jesus is going to redeem his nation to himself. He's going to redeem the world back to himself. He will win. I remember years ago, I don't think it was probably Benjamin that was playing football. It might have been David. It may have happened more than once. But it was fourth and something. And uh, D-Tai comes walking out to the huddle. And he just spoke loudly all right, we're running belly 32. And the fullback says, coach, they can hear you. He looks at that fullback and he says, I don't care if they can hear me. You block. 
he walks over to the opposing defensive line, and he says, we're running through here. Now you block, and you run. We got the first down. Our warrior king does not make any bones about the fact of what he's doing. He has laid it out. The amazing thing to me is so many believers look at Revelation and they say it's allegory. That's our Savior's battle plan. There'll be a battle there in the Valley of Armageddon when that once again the world sees holy Israel. Now God has taken her back to himself and they gather to put her out of existence. And if you look in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, you see our warrior king and us. It says, and I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. Now somebody says that's allegory. I don't want that to be allegory. I want my horse. But we're part of the armies of heaven. Jesus has given us instruction in this life. Be wise as serpents and harmless as doves because I send you out in the midst of ravenous wolves. But we have the protection of our Savior, but one day he's going to bring justice. What happens? From his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When I saw an angel standing in the sun, he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in mid-heaven, Come assemble for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, small and great. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who had worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burned with brimstone, and the rest were killed with a sword which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. And Jesus takes the throne of David and rules for a thousand years and brings peace. He rules with the rod of iron, it says, and it prophesied this clear back in Psalm 2. What does that mean, a rod of iron? That means his justice is true and you don't need a lawyer because God knows everything. And yet, with a perfect environment where the lion will lay down with the lamb, and the child will play at the hole of the asp, there will be rebellion. There'll be one more battle. And in those thousand years with perfect environment, because that's what we say, if we could just have a good government, if we just create a peaceful environment, why then? 
people were in rebel. And yet Satan, for that thousand years, is bound, and for a short season, he's loosed. And he gathers those during that time because only believers go into the millennial reign of Christ. Only those who have lived through the tribulation have come to Christ during the tribulation go into the millennium. And they have children. And yet those children who don't receive Jesus during that time and recognize him as God and submit to him in their hearts will be gathered and once again deceived by Satan. And they'll rise up, it says, many as the sands of the seas to do rebellion against God again. Now think about this. Jesus sits on the throne physically in Israel. The nations come up to worship him. You and I, who have gone to be with the Lord and now return in our supernatural bodies, will rule and reign with Christ. They are surrounded with the proof of his right to rule. And yet they rebel. But victory is not a problem for our God because he is the mighty one, the mighty warrior who never loses a battle. Now my question this morning is, do you know him? Do you know this mighty king? This mighty king, his father sent him to be born in the humblest conditions. Born in a manger. Why is that? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 18. He had to be made like unto his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make the propitiation for the people. For see, since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. In chapter 4 of Hebrews, verse 15 and 16, it says, we have not an high priest. We don't have a king that cannot be, have feelings about our own trials and our own temptations because he was tempted in every way, just like we are yet without sin. Because of that, if you know him, you can come boldly to the throne of grace and find help in time of need. Do you know that king? Oh, his invitation is, come unto me, always that are weak and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And you'll find rest for your souls. He has provided that rest in that battle he did on the cross when he endured the wrath of God for your sin and for my sin. You want to be on the winning side? You need to submit to Jesus. What a great time of year this is. When most people in the world at least know Christmas is going on. It's an opportunity for us to look for those opportunities to speak for him, to speak for the king who has conquered your heart and stands every day to be your attorney, to speak for you. It says in 1 John chapter 2, John said, little children, I write these things to you that you sin not, but if you sin, remember you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. The warrior king speaks for you. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, it lifts our heart. It gives us confidence once again. It's so easy for us to be distracted by the foolishness that goes on in government and the wickedness that's happening in our world. And it seems like no one is there to stand in the gap for righteousness. But Father, we lift our eyes 
we crawl up into the high mountains of scripture and we get your perspective again that you are the king of glory. You're the king that's strong and mighty in battle. Lord, I pray that you'd use the word in our hearts to give us confidence, to give us the transparency of our own sainthood, that you have loved us and you have saved us and we belong to you that we might reflect your grace in a lost world around us. Lord, that we might be found faithful in our time and our place. And we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.